Good morning, you guys. It is July 1st already. Wow. And I'm just amazed at where this country stands at this present moment. And only thing I can say is shame, shame, shame. I believe that the anxiousness and the pridefulness of our leaders would have really just slowed it down and sit. I believe they would have held out until June that our cases would have been lower. The economy, of course, the economy going to always be active because, first of all, if you show that you care about the people that are paying you to be in leadership, to guide us and protect us, then, of course, the citizens will continue on living the life that could be there for them. But, no, we have arrogant, narcissistic, prideful leaders that's only thinking about their own well-being because, first of all, they are continually getting their paychecks in their bank, they are protected, they have health care, their students, their children get to go to at least schools, and at this present moment, <clears throat> since uh, most, since everything is closed, their children, I am guaranteeing that their children have not missed a beat with their education. They have the best of the worlds, these politicians, these congressmen, these representatives. But on the other side, you have the working people that's literally paying them to be in that position. And what are they saying? They're playing Russian roulette with the people's lives. And all that I can say is shame, shame, shame to you world leaders. Think about it. If this virus is that detrimental, and it's a must that, how they say, flatten the curve? Well, I know right here in Texas, in Houston, we ain't flatten no curve. We arraigned the curve. <laughs> and the only thing they can tell us is, oh, you know what? We're not going to release this other money yet. Let's just see because... um they can use their savings and uh, they can borrow from their family members and, you know, uh, or they can even sell stuff out their homes. Excuse me, what the heck are you talking about, senators, representatives, people in Congress? What, what, what kind of foolery is that? Their mindsets. It's horrific, and I think it's appalling, and it's shameful, and it's disgraceful how they really think about us as individuals in this country. And enough is enough, you guys. We are protesting, but I'm telling you, the American citizens of this country has to really put pressure on these leaders now in this this decade. Y'all got to remember, you guys are working and they're taking taxes out of your check almost two three hundred dollars every two weeks 
prayerfully for those that are still working at home and they want to complain about the unemployment, I believe anybody that needs to get unemployment, you need to get your unemployment if you didn't work all your life and now this thing happened that you have no control of and they want to hold back your unemployment? For what? You didn't pay it into the system. I thought that's what this was all about. Taking monies out of Social Security. You have all these individuals, like my mother just passed. She just started receiving her Social Security, right? From all the years, 72 years old, laid her to rest. All these years, she didn't work. Two jobs with businesses as an entrepreneur. And just started receiving her Social Security. And guess what? Now she's going, now what, what y'all going to do with the rest of that money? You sure didn't bury her because we already had to take care of that. So just think about all these elderly people that are dying because of this COVID-19. Okay? So what are y'all doing? What are they doing with the rest of this money that's was in the pool of Social Security? They didn't give it to their families. So they have money coming in all kind of ways, you guys. But we, they have us so distracted. They have us so distracted that the common individual just think that we just, just going to weigh it out. We just, you know, everything's going to be all right. And oh, don't, our, our, our commander of chief, I don't know what he's commanding, but he showed not looking out for the American people. Everything's just great. You know, it's going to look great. The great people. Oh, the, the viruses, that's going away. It's going away. We're we doing great. We save a lot of lives. Really? Wow. As y'all hear the, the news clips, that I've recorded, my gosh. And what about the businesses? I know I had to close up one of my businesses. What about the the independent contractors that were supposed to receive this CARES Act money? The PPL and the EIDL, that's only given to a certain set of people, a certain set of businesses. That it was created for independent contractors, self-employed individuals. That's what the CARES Act was created for, to maintain our livelihood. And guess what? We did not benefit from that act. But yet, everything's great. Don't worry, that economy is going to be great. The people are going to be great. Uh, are you speaking on behalf of yourself? Because, <laughs> see, you in the White House. <laughs> All right? You you being fed, continuing your filet mignon. <laughs> you can travel. Matter of fact, as they say, you can go play golf and don't worry about anything. While people are sitting here trying to budget to find out, okay, should I get my medicine? Or should I get some food? Should I pay this bill? Oh, now we got to stay at home. Another stay at home order. You see? 
So these are the things that, I mean, it's very critical, people. We have election coming up. July 14 is the first runoff. And they're not promoting that. And you don't see that. I'm watching the news and I'm not seeing that. I saw one person and they're a Trump supporter. And she talking about she's for law and order. Oh, no, baby. Not over this. Not over this. God is law over this. But you guys better Google your zip code and find out who is re, uh, resubmitting for another term in Congress. See, the Congress holds the keys to a lot of stuff we're dealing with right now. They're the one that's debating. They they going, they going on their they vacation now. See, they can vacation. They got the, the hey, They don't have to worry about their bills being paid. They're going to chill out for 17 days while people twiddling their thumb, thumb to see how they're going to be able to pay their house note. Come on. See, the Congress, the representatives, the senators, July 14, two weeks from today, you have to go and vote. Check out that agenda. And whoever gets in that office, you better make sure, no matter what state you're in, no matter who wins, you better make sure that you put pressure on them to make sure they honor what they say they're going to do. I, I believe this voting thing needs to be overthrown and revitalized. Because to be honest with you, they're tearing down buildings, they're tearing down statues, they need to tear down these laws and re-evaluate re, re them and resubmit them properly. With blacks on their mind doing it. Because everything from the beginning, the structure has been built on the foundation, has been tampered with, has not been fair. The foundation needs to be uprooted, period. And that's from the beginning up to now. It has to be revitalized. Ain't no solidarity. We don't need y'all to keep getting on the knee knee now. We need these laws to be changed. Period. And we need to separate like they have every other nationality separated without any fuss about it. But it's time for the black community to have their law specifically for them. Because the civil out the civil acts. The Civil War Act, or whatever law that was, in the 13th and 14th Amendment, is our amendment that we can stand on, but they have not given us the opportunity to abide by it. Because they came up with another law to trump that. So, I believe, and that's my own impression and how I feel about what I'm seeing and for the people especially us as a black community that we need the lawyers that are in place and stand up in the community and let's come together and let's see how we can go to these meetings and in these town hall meetings and, and declare decree and declare what needs to be done for our community 
and get those into the resolution so they can be presented to the representatives to bring it to the Congress. You see how they go? So I, I've, I'm feasting through different YouTube documentaries and what's going on outside of U.S. Because right now they're not, they're not keeping us informed properly. It's, very, it's, it's a very few that's keeping us informed properly. So as always, I'm just saying hi. Um, it's been tasking, you know, and a lot of things you just like reviewing. Um, some people don't understand certain situations. And um, because of this new normal that we have, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing now people still don't have empathy and compassion and patience with one another and and I am definitely taking my time out to evaluate a lot of circumstances and situations especially in the business realm as an entrepreneur to make sure that I keep myself covered I keep myself stern in business and that's just what it is. And if individuals perceive that I may not be um, what's the right term? Spedient <laughs> for them, it's like I, I, I'm seeing a pattern where people lag and lag and lag on their end. And I can I can call and motivate and encourage and, and wait patiently. Oh, but then all of a sudden a snap of the finger and they are ready to go forth as a Corvette hitting high speed. You know, and if they can't get in contact with you and they can't speak with you and that a lot, it's like they don't have me on a retainer where they have access to me 24-7. Oh no. So why would you even expect? A service like that, I'm not your attorney, right? You don't have me on a retainer. You haven't deposited $5,000 into my account to the point where when you dial a number, presto, I'll pick up an answer. Not even understanding. Like, I've, I've called different people and don't get a response I'm not going to automatically get upset and put an X through them and that's out and threaten them and what kind of foolishness is that when you going through a first of all a pandemic situation alright that's affected everybody worse especially in business for yourself you got people just dying left and right every day and it hits hard when you're just overcoming friends and colleagues that have passed and you're just taking a deep breath and it's like, oh, okay, so now I can get my mind straight. I'm, 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 I'm recovering, you know. I, I've, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of individuals, except people that's really close to me, realize that, you know, I was going through really a physical battle in my body. And still pressing forward, still doing things, still trying to maintain my sanity. 
and yet you got people not even empathizing with the whole world situation, not only even minimizing the middle, you know, the smaller man. So it's just showing me and it's teaching me and I pray that this is doing the same for you out there. That I I pray that you're taking this time out to really reevaluate where you stand in your life with yourself and how people are really treating you and where you stand with them. Because 9 out of 10, you are not their priority. It's only when they need something from you or need you to do something for them. When you become their priority. So I feel like and I, 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 this is my, this is my status. Who's priority? Number one, the Lord of God, Jesus himself, Yahshua, my savior, is my priority. The next is myself, because if I don't take care of myself from these years on, and, and the stuff that I learned, all the stuff that I, I, I've, heard and, and and seen and just laid out stuff, just looking at all the stuff that my mom was doing. It's like, damn, mama, you could have still been here. You had your hands in two minutes, too much, too much. And it's not even her stuff. It's other people's stuff. Trying to help people that really don't want to help themselves. Just, just leeching off you. I, I am not going to do that. Especially with my business. You're going to pay me, and then we'll go ahead and do what we need to do. And that's it. Job done. But when you got people expecting expecting VIP, golden, golden globe treatment, don't want to pay you, don't want to pay you on time, don't want to pay you at all, but still expect for you to still jump. When you in the bed, can't even turn. Don't even say, well, how you doing? You need anything? You know, yada, yada. I'm going to send you something to help you. Da-da. Nothing. Nothing. Just draining you like a leech. Just draining you. To, you, to your last breath. Draining you. I listen to... The master class with LL Cool J. And he made a statement that somebody gave him. And he's been living on this advice since then. He said the oxygen that we breathe is very valuable. And when anybody comes into your space, you are allowing them to take part of your oxygen, your air. Your space, your presence, you have allowed them to come into that space. That means they mean something to you. Whenever you give somebody, I don't care, one minute of your time, one second of your time, you have allowed them to take part of your oxygen in reciprocal. Now, he said what, what really matters is if that person value the oxygen that they have taken from you. Because it will be demonstrated throughout your time in each other's presence. 
But if that person is not valuing your breath, the very life source that's coming out of you, you need to take a second look at that time space with that individual. And I was like, whoa. So you really, really need to go and hear the entire message on how he became who he is and how he value others. And because of that seed he sown, now now this is my interpretation, because of the seed that he sown of, of valuing others, in return, God sent people his way that valued him. And God has allowed me to be in so many different people present. And I've learned and gleaned from them. And in return, I strive my best to throw that out to people that I have come in contact with. I'm not responsible. And I'm not taking responsibility anymore of another person's actions. According to how they feel perceive me or business or relationship or whatever. And we have to stop that also. We are not responsible of another person's action. But what we are responsible for is our own actions and how we acknowledge that within ourselves and with the God that's in control of our lives. And if we be honest with that, and repent. Lord, I didn't mean to do that. And then, Lord, I'm doing this. If you don't come and, and, and do something, this is about to happen. And I just pray that you can make this crooked rule straight for me. Because before you know it, ABCDFG is about to go down. I don't, I don't see no breakthrough here. I'm waiting. Then you wait till the last minute. And it's like, okay, what's up? <laughs> But until individuals can acknowledge and then bring it before God. And I tell you, he will, he will straighten that thing out. Some may have consequences, some may not. But overall, how are you valuing one another? How are you really seeing and taking care of the individual that you have been allowed to be in that person's presence? How is your heart towards that individual? You see? And that's the hardest thing that that anybody can can experience that when they gave their all. I mean, to individuals, to family members, on your job, to your supervisor, to your manager, to the owner, to your children. You gave your all, the best that you know how to do. You gave your best. And in return, they did not value you to the point that they cared about you. Hey, and this is the world we live in. And because of this COVID-19, my gosh, it's just everything is just all over the place. So I advise everyone at this present moment in your life, just take your time. Take your time. Be careful. Take care of yourself. If you got to go out there in the war zone of COVID, 
you know, strap up, mass up, glove up. And make sure you have your, your, your sanitized wipes or your gel or whatever you need until you can get to a place and wash your hands thoroughly. I don't like to be around crowds anymore. I mean, it was uncomfortable. Even it was just strange. Even during the little funeral procession we had with our moms. And people coming to you and they want to hug you. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't even know where you've been. Hey, yeah, we may be family members, but I don't know where you've been. And it was so awkward, you know. It was awkward to me that you couldn't embrace to share somebody to comfort them. It just felt awkward. And one of my aunts, she taught us a new way. She said, she said well, just rub your shoulder. So we went back to back. You know, we just rubbed back to back. But still, to me, I felt that was still too close. You know? So Psalm 91, God has sent his word. He said that in Acts 10, um, I think it's 10, 28 or 38, how, how God anointed Jesus with power and with the Holy Ghost. And he went about doing good, healing all manner of diseases and with all those that was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, right? So I believe that God has healing virtual power for us. And if we can take our time, take our time and really believe in the word of God, that, yeah, you can go out in the midst of the war zone and return home safe. And we just continue to pray for our leaders and we pray for for wisdom and and, and just a a miraculous uh, blood washing. (laughs) I mean, this country needs some some literally Jesus blood cleansing repentance. And I know they have a lot of prayer meetings and a lot of pray for America, pray, pray, pray. But I believe that until America really repent and uproot all the hatred because uh, everything that was done, all the laws, if you think about it, every law that was created, everything that they have done, it was created based on a negative response towards the black community. They did not want to accept it. They didn't want to free us. They didn't want to let our forefathers thrive on their own. Okay, you didn't give us the 40 acres in the mule. So they went on and they still built, they still had businesses. And because they couldn't understand how is these people doing this here, they burnt it all down. They had to start all over from scratch. And even now, I believe that the black community, especially the black community, is going through the same thing again. It's like they just want to wipe everything out make them start all over, but guess what? We're going to bounce back. We always bounce back. Why? Because I know Shadow done. It's my opinion. Maybe somebody else feel different, but we are God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people. And because of that, yeah, more hardship, more trials, more circumstances, more circum- um, situations, 
But at the end of it all, you guys, if you really think about your life individually, and I'm talking about all people now, but mostly the black community, we are thrivers, no matter what. We'll take something negative, how they say, somebody throw you a lemon, hey, let's slice that lemon open and squeeze it and make some sweet old lemonade. We're not going to let nothing keep us down. We're not going to let nothing keep us down. We're not going to let, let you make our smile a frown. So now you're mad. So now you want to kill. You want to kill us. You want to shoot us. But you can't even do that no more. Because look how God exposed it. So you all... Do what you have to do to maintain your livelihood and and just be encouraged that God's eyes is upon all. You can read Psalms 90, 92, and 93. It shows us how he his eyes is on the wicked, his eyes is on the prideful, his eyes is on the politicians, on everyone, especially those that hurting his children. And I believe God will take care of us. If you take care of him by worshiping him, praising him, and giving him glory for what he is doing in your life, he is going to take care of you. Trust in the Lord with all thy might and lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all thy ways. And he, God, Yah, Jehovah, Yahweh, he will direct your path. Okay? God bless you. It's Dr. D with the Boom Factor. And I want you guys to stay healthy and stay safe. God bless. And summer, as we used to know it, Sam Brock starts us off. In Florida tonight, the coronavirus storm threatening the state's pristine shores. A surge of cases, more than 23,000 in three days, shutting down beaches for the 4th of July. I get it, but at the same time, it just really sucks to not be able to go to the beach. This step is necessary, again, to protect the community and to ensure we safeguard the health of all the people of Broward County. I think that it's a very tough thing for them to do, but I admire anyone that has to make that decision. But some residents are furious with their mayors. We're all in this together now, and we will get through it. Get over it, yeah, it's like any other sickness, I feel like, any other flu. Nationwide, COVID is rising in 29 states, 11 of them by more than 100% in the last two weeks. And late today, the Arizona governor ordered bars, gyms, and water parks to shut down for at least a month. In California, the governor now closing bars again in seven counties, including L.A., where cases hit a record high. We don't like the trend line. A trend line that just prompted L.A. County officials to close down their beaches for the holiday weekend. In South Carolina, frontline workers taken aback by their young patients. I remember taking care of one patient in particular, not but three years older than I am, no medical problems, healthy, and watching this patient struggle to breathe, gasping for air because of COVID. Um, 
It's scary. Now the COVID surge dealing a crushing setback to businesses. Here in Miami Beach on famed Ocean Drive, restaurants and hotels just got the beaches back, only to see them shut down again for the crucial holiday weekend. Our hotel guests come to go to the beach. So now, you know, most of our hotel guests have canceled their reservations. There's no choice, says Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez, when around 15% of people in Florida are testing positive. What concerns you more, 10,000 cases in a single day or the percent of people testing positive? The percent of people testing positive. The state of Florida was running at around 5% positive test rate, and now it's running much higher. That's the issue. The beaches are out for now, but the movie business is hoping for better days. AMC today announcing its theaters will reopen nationwide by the end of July. Sam Brock, NBC News, Miami Beach. I'm Joe Fryer in Houston, where strained hospitals are caring for more and more patients who are younger, many with underlying conditions. What we are seeing here is a increased rate of hospitalization of 20 to 40 year olds. That's certainly what they're seeing at Baylor St. Luke's Medical Center. Hospitalizations are up, but the age is going down. Even those in their 20s are ending up in the ICU. So it certainly is something that if I were younger, I would not take for granted that I'm going to be immune to having a, a serious uh, illness. You're seeing that firsthand. Seeing that very firsthand, absolutely. 36-year-old Veronica Medrano spent over a week in the hospital. Her parents and brother got sick, too. That experience is an experience that I would never want anybody to have to go through. Everyone should take this seriously. Um, it is a real deal. It's a real thing, and it's very dangerous. For some patients, the antiviral drug remdesivir has been shown to shorten recovery times. Today, it was revealed for patients with private insurance, the drug will cost about $3,100 for a five-day treatment. Well, one consumer group calls that price tag an outrage. Drug maker Gilead disagrees. We priced it at the price that allows for access across the developed world. The federal government has now secured half a million treatment courses of remdesivir to give to hospitals through September. And we're working to make with our states to make sure it gets to the hospitals most in need. Also in need, testing, which is in high demand from Florida to Texas to Arizona. It took a long time. I've been waiting for like a better part of two weeks. Across the Sun Belt, more scenes are surfacing of people standing in long lines while streams of cars at drive through sites stretch for blocks. They're trying to screen thousands of people, and yet that's still not enough. We're falling behind on testing. A growing struggle to get ahead of a spreading virus. Joe Fryer, NBC News. In Minneapolis late today, the four ex-police officers involved in the death of George Floyd were in court as the head of the police union fights back against efforts to defund the department. NBC's Gabe Gutierrez is there. Out on bail, two of the former Minneapolis officers stayed silent today as they left their pretrial hearing. Thomas Lane and Alex King were rookie cops, their lawyers have said, and were following the lead of senior officer Derek Chauvin. Today, a judge warned attorneys to limit pretrial publicity or he changed the venue of the trial, now tentatively set for March. This is just absolutely insane that we all are gathered here to talk about my nephew getting murdered by a damn madman in the middle of the street. For what reason? Because of the color of his skin. Chauvin, who appeared by video conference today, is charged with second-degree murder and manslaughter. His attorney has repeatedly declined to comment. The three other ex-officers are accused of aiding and abetting second-degree murder. All face up to 40 years in prison if convicted. In a court filing late today, King's attorney said he'd plead not guilty, claiming self-defense and authorized use of force. 
A lawyer for Toe Tao, who remains in custody, would not comment, except to offer condolences to George Floyd's family. What they did to him, and the way they did it, it was bigger than racism. It was not humanity. A few days ago, the city council here voted to take the first steps to defund the police department. Do you think that police in this country are under attack right now? I sure do, yeah. Lieutenant Bob Kroll is the head of the Minneapolis Police Union. He estimates about a quarter of the department is preparing to either quit or retire due to low morale. An officer did a horrific thing, but you don't get to paint the whole department with that same brush. Kroll says the union is no longer representing Chauvin, but is standing by the other three former officers. The union says it wants to see the body camera footage from the incident here, which has not been publicly released. Lester? All right, Gabe Gutierrez tonight. Thank you. This evening, a new firestorm involving President Trump after he retweeted an inflammatory video made during a protest in St. Louis. This follows a racist video he retweeted the day That's before. Right. NBC's Kristen Welker has more now from the White House. He retweeted it. Tonight, and as protests for racial justice persist, the president is again stoking tensions on Twitter, sharing a video today of a white couple in an upscale St. Louis neighborhood pointing firearms and shouting at peaceful protesters. The White House has not commented on that video, but it comes a day after the president retweeted another video showing an apparent Trump supporter at a Florida retirement community shouting white power at anti-Trump protesters. The president took the tweet down amid bipartisan backlash and after his ally, Senator Tim Scott, called the tweet indefensible on Sunday. There's no question they should not have retweeted it. They should just take it down. Joe Biden tweeting white supremacy should be rooted out and relegated to the pages of history, not promoted by the president of the United That's States, right. the That's White right. House on defense. We did not hear that particular phrase. Oh, man. Why y'all going to come up he for this man? He heard exactly what they were saying. It's not the first time the president has sparked controversy man, over protesters mercy. and the issue of race. He has disparaged unruly demonstrators as thugs and recently tweeted, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, remarks that quote a Miami police chief in the 1960s who was widely criticized for contributing to race riots. It all comes as the Republican mayor of Jacksonville, the site of the Republican National Convention, announced everyone will now be required to wear masks indoors. Vice President Pence, traveling in Texas Sunday, urged people in hot zones to wear one. The president sent mixed messages on masks. He hasn't urged people to wear them and has only been pictured in one once. The RNC said it's committed to holding a safe convention. Lester. Kristen Welker at the White House tonight. Thanks. Congress is demanding answers this evening after reports Russia offered to pay the Taliban to kill American troops in yep. Afghanistan. President Putin's spokesman responded in an exclusive interview with NBC News. Keir Simmons has the latest. Tonight's growing outrage over reports Russia offered cash for killing American soldiers in Afghanistan. Officials familiar with the intelligence tell NBC News that the U.S. gathered information showing that Russian operatives offered bounties to the Taliban. One official saying American service members and Afghan civilians died as a result. Though other officials tell us the intelligence was uncorroborated. Overnight, President Trump tweeting, Intel just reported to me that they did not find this info credible and therefore didn't report it to me. Now, President Putin's spokesman pushing back in an exclusive interview with NBC News. Maybe I, I, I can sound a little bit rude, but, uh, but this is a 100% bullshit. 
But tonight, bipartisan calls in Congress for an investigation. Republican Liz Cheney tweeting, who did know and when? What has been done to protect our forces and hold Putin accountable? President Putin's spokesman telling NBC News, Russia has received no complaint from American officials. Has anyone raised this with you, complained to the Russian government about this, uh, or said that there will be implications? As far as I'm concerned, uh, none of American representatives has any ever uh, raised this question against Russian representatives. Tonight, the White House briefed top Republicans who say there's now an ongoing review to determine the accuracy of the intelligence. Lester? Keir Simmons tonight. Thank you. A major ruling from the Supreme Court today on abortion, the court striking down a law in Louisiana. Pete Williams has details. It's another surprising ruling from this conservative Supreme Court and a victory for women seeking abortion, like Kimberly O'Brien of New Orleans. Devastated to learn that the child she was carrying would have severe birth defects, she and her husband decided to terminate the pregnancy, but she had to go to Texas. I ended up having to go 350 miles away to have my abortion because I couldn't get a provider to do it in New Orleans. Today's ruling struck down a Louisiana law that would have made that even harder, requiring abortion doctors to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital. Chief Justice John Roberts joined the court's four more liberal members in the 5-4 to four decision. He said the law was identical to one from Texas that the court struck down four years ago. Even though he dissented in the Texas case, he said today that it is binding precedent so Louisiana's law cannot stand. President Trump's two nominees, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, were among the dissenters. Clarence Thomas said the court's abortion precedents are grievously wrong and should be overturned. Kavanaugh didn't go that far and said the court should have sent the case back to gather more facts on how the Louisiana law would work. The ruling is a big win for advocates of abortion rights, but because Roberts joined only grudgingly, it leaves the door open for more restrictions. Going into an election year, this is not something that he wanted his court to preside over. He did not want to be the one um, on record as eviscerating some kind of abortion right. More decisions tomorrow, still to come rulings on whether Congress and a state prosecutor can get President Trump's tax returns. It's clear now this Supreme Court term will last at least another week. Lester? Pete Williams tonight, thank you. In 60 seconds, voting in a pandemic as more states expand the use of mail-in ballots are many of them still unprepared for November. The new warning tonight. Back now with our NBC News investigation with coronavirus raising safety concerns at polling places. How prepared is this country to expand mail-in voting? We contacted all 50 states to find out. Here's Cynthia McVett. Tonight, one key election official is sounding an alarm about expanding vote by mail. Expanding vote at home is not a simple thing. It may sound simple, it may seem simple to the voter, but it is not so simple if you're administering the election, correct? That is absolutely correct. It's a disservice to our voters to just throw it out. Oh yeah, we can just flip a switch and, and everybody can vote by mail. Washington Secretary of State Kim Wyman is in a unique position to know. A Republican from a very blue state in charge of running elections for one of only five all-vote-by-mail states in the country. Washington's 18-day voting period is run entirely by ballots mailed to every registered voter and has been for the past nine years. Now the woman who runs it is getting calls for advice from other states. 
She says they'll need systems to ensure ballots are not fraudulent and new equipment to count hand-marked paper ballots. And fast. They need to be able to deal with the, the production they're going to have to put on, and we need Congress's help to do that. So far, additional help does not look to be forthcoming, and the clock is ticking. NBC News has reached out to election officials in all 50 states to see what measures they've put in place and what kind of resources they require. 33 states offer no excuse needed absentee ballots, while 17 others offer them with an excuse. At least 10 of those states, however, are expanding absentee voting due to the coronavirus. Michigan election officials tell us they need another $30 million for PPE, postage, mailings, and public education. Minnesota officials say they need 30,000 poll workers for what they expect to be a tidal wave of absentee ballot applications and actual ballots. And as much as she believes in voting exclusively by mail, Wyman tells us it may not be the best option for states with little experience with it. Four months is not enough time to, to spin up what we need to spin up. Um, so I think you're going to see a hybrid model across the country. States like Missouri and Illinois, for instance, tell us they do not want to decrease in-person voting locations if they can avoid it. But experts say making polling places safe and lines short will be a challenge. And we need the resources to do it right. From your perspective, we're already behind. We were behind three months ago when we started having this conversation. Cynthia McFadden, NBC News. A day of reckoning in a California courtroom for the man known as the Golden State Killer. Joseph James D'Angelo pled guilty to 13 murders and admitted to dozens of rapes and other crimes in the 1970s and 80s. He struck a plea deal for a life sentence with no parole, avoiding the death penalty. Coming up as we continue tonight, sending kids back to school, the surprising advice from top pediatricians. All right, let's get into an issue now facing so many families. Will schools reopen for teaching in person this fall? Tonight, the largest organization of pediatricians is weighing in. Here's Kate Snow. Even as coronavirus cases spike, when it comes to school, the American Academy of Pediatrics says all policy considerations for the coming school year should start with a goal of having students physically present. Kids need to learn, and they learn better in person than they're going to learn virtually. Leslie Saba agrees. Her son really struggled with distance learning. He missed that interaction so much, and he missed the instruction. He didn't care to just sort of read something and do something. The AAP worries that without going to school, kids lose access to behavioral and mental health services, food programs, and are socially isolated. And students without internet connections or devices are falling behind. But parents like Renee Parker in Houston see things differently. I will not allow my kids to go back to school for in August, in the fall. No matter what? No matter what. One of her daughters has an autoimmune disease. My kids miss all their friends, but at this point, we were trying to... frequent digital tests for the virus. First, you scan this barcode, 
That automatically opens a health app. And when I take a look at the screen, the app says, no abnormal conditions. No abnormal conditions. So I get the green light. If this were red, I'd have to be quarantined for 14 days. You have to enter all your data too, including passport information and date of birth, country of origin. And the app can find out where I've been and when. But neither the Chinese authorities nor the manufacturer will tell us how it works. It's like a black box. Lots of places have fever scanners out front. Even a slight increase in body temperature can set them off. a lot of tourists here at the Great Wall of China, even though lockdown restrictions have eased a little. People are cautious and well monitored. At this station, visitors use their smartphones to scan a barcode. This is the first time in a long time that Chen Shuangshuang has left her hometown. She's here with her mother and her son. You type in your name, phone number, and home address. And then the app decides whether you can come in. This is just one of many new health apps now used in China. A quick check of their body temperature, and they're off to the summit. Like many in China, this family has been living with lockdown restrictions. They haven't left their home for months. Today, they're taking a day trip. This section of the Great Wall is about 70 kilometers north of Beijing. It's normally crowded with tourists. But the family almost have the place all to themselves. So they don't need to wear face masks. And they can enjoy a bit of the great outdoors. We spend more time at home now. So I have to come up with new ways to keep my son busy. We play together a lot. Joe Kai is eight years old. He hasn't gone to school for several months, so he studies at home. My mom has changed a lot. She's always at home, and she's really stressed out. She gets upset 57,800 times more than she used to. The pandemic has made everyone more cautious. We're on our way to interview a worker, and even he asked us to use a health app. This is Hu Yunxu. After our apps show up green, he's satisfied that we don't pose a health risk. Okay, <laughs> Hu tells us that for the first time in 20 years, his working life is falling apart. He used to hire himself out as a day laborer, usually at construction sites. But he says those jobs are hard to find these days. The lockdown restrictions have made it more difficult, especially the social distancing requirements. But I think that we've come through the worst months of it now. 
暂时的，也就是说等于已经过去了，算，几乎算过去了。Who takes us to the place where he and others wait for employers to come by and offer them work? It's an unofficial labor market. When we arrive, a lot of the workers get up and leave. The men are looking for work in factories or on construction sites. People here say there are fewer jobs, and wages are lower than before the pandemic. Hu Yongshu is cautious in his comments. He doesn't want to badmouth the Chinese government in front of foreign journalists. There are still some problems, but once they end the restrictions, everything will go back to normal. But the pandemic has also created China's worst economic crisis in decades. At private employment agencies, like this one in Beijing, the jobs that are offered pay a lot less than they did just a few months ago. The equivalent of 20 euros a day. They used to pay 30. Here's another unofficial job market, just a few hundred meters away. Day workers wait here for employers to come offer them work. There are about 300 million migrant workers in China. They helped to fuel the country's remarkable economic growth. But now, many of them are worried about how to make ends meet. There are a lot fewer jobs now. There used to be all kinds of work. I've been waiting here for days. My savings will be gone soon. Last year, there were jobs that paid 200 yuan a day. Today, the average is only 100. 100 yuan works out to about 13 euros a day. We now leave the outlying districts of Beijing and return to the heart of the city. At first glance, life here looks pretty much like it did before the pandemic. But here's something new. Checkpoints set up by the Communist Party's neighborhood committees. These officials decide who can enter the area. There are checkpoints on just about every side street to take people's temperature. A few months ago, only people who lived here were allowed in. But now you just show your health code data and that's it. Still, the restrictions change constantly depending on the level of new infections. More lockdown restrictions could be imposed at any time and this makes it tough for people to move freely around the city. There are long lines outside some restaurants. These people don't pay much attention to social distancing. Most of my life is back to normal now because uh, I can go to the restaurant and the thing that affects me a lot is uh, I can't go back to work so I can't get my salary. Much has changed because of coronavirus. Many people have lost their jobs and have been forced to live on their savings. The Fat Sisters Noodle Restaurant has come up with creative ideas to deal with the situation. For example, the guests are separated by plexiglass panels at their table. Owner Du Tianqi has also distributed these advertisements around the neighborhood. Her business is doing well, despite the effects of the pandemic. 
I think it's a matter of mentality. I try to think positively. After all, people always have to eat. These pictures are from late January to late March. Guests were not allowed inside the restaurant. So within two weeks, Du had set up a takeout service. Since most of her employees had to stay home at that time, Du took everything into her own hands. She's even taken extra measures to retain the trust of her customers. This takeout receipt shows the body temperature of the cook and the employee who packed the meal. We also list the temperature of the person who delivers it. During the lockdown, the takeout service accounted for at least one third of the restaurant's turnover. Du didn't have to lay off any of her workers. Takeout service is still available, but now customers are returning to the restaurant in droves, and turnover is way up. Du has found ways to work through this crisis. I feel good about our situation. We do a lot of takeout business. We pack up new orders all day long. I think we have just enough people to do all the work, but I may hire one or two more. The government is helping out by paying the employer's share of social security contributions for the workers for one year. That's an important subsidy for this business. Meanwhile, back at the Great Wall of China, Chen Shuangshuang and her mother and son are enjoying their visit. Because of the lockdown restrictions, there are no huge crowds like back home in Beijing. There's plenty of room to walk around, and the risk of infection here is low. But Chen and her mother are taking no risks when it comes to the health of Zhou Kai. They still don't allow him to meet with his friends. That's another complication created by the pandemic. They're about to have a meal at this restaurant. But before they're allowed in, they have to provide their names and phone numbers. And they have to have their temperature taken. In China, people often share dishes of food. But today, the family have chosen to do that only among themselves. And only here, in this private room. I'll eat in a restaurant out here in the countryside, but not in the city. Now that the risk of infection is lower, we can take occasional day trips, but most of the time, we stay at home. Grandma Zhang says people have a duty to protect themselves and others. We have to be careful, avoid crowds and follow the guidelines. If everyone does that, China will prosper and things will get better and better. Chen and her family believe that the government's policies will help to lead the country out of this crisis. Xie Yanyi is a human rights lawyer who takes a critical view of the government's coronavirus policies. The authorities have Xie under surveillance 24 hours a day. 
We didn't know until the last minute whether we'd be allowed to interview him. When large numbers of people recently took to the internet to demand freedom of speech, Xie signed a petition that called for improvements in civil rights. He says the police have ordered him to keep quiet. They say that if I don't cooperate with them, delete my internet posts and stop speaking out, it will have negative consequences for my family, my children and me. Xie first heard about a new unidentified virus last December. He became concerned after eight doctors in Wuhan, who were trying to alert the public to the new threat, were arrested in early January. They were accused of spreading false reports about the virus. When things like that happen, we usually believe exactly the opposite of what the government is saying. There's a saying on the internet that what the state media defines as rumors are more likely predictions. Our foreign colleagues probably won't understand that unless they grew up in East Germany. Xie fears that the pandemic will allow the government to increase its control over society. He's concerned about the digital data that's entered into the system whenever he uses a health app. And he believes that that app-based surveillance will continue long after the threat of virus infection has passed. In the past, Chinese citizens had to provide their personal data when they bought a train or bus ticket or booked a hotel room. They were also checked by facial recognition technology. Now, I have to go through that process not just when I travel, but also here at home. The government now has complete coverage of the population with facial recognition, personal data confirmation and passport registration. We're on our way to Beijing International Airport. There are strict security controls here, even though the facility is mostly empty. Overseas flights have fallen off sharply because of the pandemic. We're here to pick up a journalist for an interview. We've agreed not to use his real name, so we'll call him Chong Beihai. He spent the first 76 days of the lockdown in Wuhan. It's been four months since he was in Beijing. The return trip was complicated. Each time he boards a plane or other form of transport, he has to register and provide a passport number. A health app then determines whether the data is correct. I tried to buy a plane ticket, but the app said that under current regulations I was not allowed to. So I tried to buy a train ticket, but that didn't work either. Then Chong got help from a Communist Party neighborhood committee, which has a say in such matters. After two days on May the 16th, I was allowed to buy a plane ticket. During his time in Wuhan, Chong wrote about individual people who'd been affected by the pandemic. 
In one article, I talked about a doctor who treated coronavirus patients and then became infected herself. She was not treated quickly, was not given a hospital bed, and later died at the age of about 30. Later, a lot of readers criticized me for writing such a tragic story. Nationalism is on the rise in China right now, and negative reports about society are discouraged. Chong's article is no longer available on the internet. If you click on it, you get an error message that says I violated the guidelines, but it doesn't give specifics. It's possible that some readers posted negative comments or complained to the authorities. Chong still has no idea what he did wrong. Maybe I did break the law. But it's certainly not clear to me which one. And I don't know why the article was censored. The authorities are also cracking down on other journalists in Wuhan. These pictures of Li Zihua were taken just before he disappeared. Critical reporting on the pandemic can have serious consequences. Li used to work as a news anchor for Chinese state television. So now she said there are uh, lots of patients or suspected patients. But he quit his job, moved to Wuhan, and started filing freelance investigative reports. He even applied for a job on the night shift at a funeral home, so he could get an idea of how many people were actually dying in Wuhan. Lee was doing a live webcast at his apartment when plainclothes police turned up and arrested him. He wasn't seen again for two months. In April, he appeared in a video and claimed that he'd been in quarantine. But many who've seen this clip doubt that he was speaking freely. An attorney named Chen Shushi also filed independent reports from Wuhan. His coverage was read by millions. Chen has not been seen since February 7th. His mother has turned to social media to try to find out what happened to him. Journalist Fang Bin filmed crowded hospitals in Wuhan. A few days after he did a video interview with German broadcaster ARD, he was placed under house arrest. Fang Bin has not been seen in public since February 9th. The government eased lockdown measures in Wuhan in early April. Before that, life was difficult. The city was sealed off and many residential streets were blocked. For weeks, people were not allowed to step outside. Shopping for essentials was organized by the neighborhood committees. This is the first time in four months that journalist Chong Beihai has been in his apartment in Beijing. He tells us that his experiences with the pandemic in Wuhan affected him deeply. Many people, especially those in families, are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Others feel terribly guilty because they fear that they brought the virus into the family. 
Some even feel responsible for the death of a family member. Chong's accounts of doctors and nurses tell a grim story. At the start of the outbreak, hospitals were poorly equipped and understaffed. One doctor described how he managed to save one patient but not another because he couldn't treat him quickly. The situation was unprecedented. The effects of the pandemic will likely be felt for years. Back at the Great Wall, Grandma Jang takes a photo of Zhou Kai, a souvenir of their lockdown day trip to this world-famous structure. Later, Jang told us that she's pleased with the government's response to the pandemic. I think that other countries can learn something from the way we've handled this. We Chinese know how to take preventative measures and protect ourselves. And everyone follows the government's rules and regulations. Many others agree. They trust in the guidance of the Communist Party. It's the leadership who should make important decisions, not the people. That's how China works. Our leaders come up with ideas and the people should obey them and not complain too much. It's for the good of society. If we all work together, we can solve problems faster. But if people have a lot of different opinions, things can get out of control. That's the difference between socialism and capitalism. I think you should be more like China. Foreigners always want freedom, but freedom can kill you. There's freedom for you. You get sick, keep walking around in public, and infect everyone else. Maybe these people are just giving us the official government line. In any case, China's leaders are trying to portray their country as politically and culturally superior and a responsible world power. Chinese state TV often shows pictures of medical aid shipments bound for various foreign countries. It's good publicity. This is Huan Gan, an economics professor at Tsinghua University and a government advisor. He says China is a world power that loves peace. China doesn't want a new Cold War. We want peaceful cooperation and development that benefits both sides. But he says the US does not want to be upstaged by another world power. China is growing, and Washington simply can't deal with that. That's why the U.S. is always challenging us. And the pandemic has actually increased China's self-confidence. Now, we're driving to the outskirts of Beijing, to a resort that was quite popular before the pandemic. A checkpoint has been set up on this access road. Only local residents are allowed to enter the area. Liu Hongyan runs a small restaurant here. It was allowed to reopen in April, but the customers have to sit outside. 
Liu makes sure that there are plenty of disinfectants on hand to keep people safe. Customers have to go through the usual procedures. First, they enter a barcode, check the health app, have their temperature taken, and give their home phone number and address. Liu is happy to be back in business. So far this year, she's lost 50% of her turnover. If the virus comes back, it'll ruin us. Restaurant owners are having a really tough time now. This temple reopened recently, but foreigners are not allowed to visit as a health precaution. Guests at this inn have to show health app data, have their temperature taken, and provide a passport photo. It took almost 10 minutes to download the right app and input all the data, but now we're good to go. We start talking with the manager, but then her husband intervenes. He says foreign journalists can't be trusted, so she shouldn't talk to us. And the interview is over. We visit a small hotel nearby. The owner has been waiting for three months for permission to reopen. Then a colleague warns him against talking to foreigners. The local Communist Party leader has put out a phone message. It says that anyone who talks to foreign reporters could face serious consequences. Since the outbreak of the pandemic, fewer people want to talk to us. They seem to be worried about saying the wrong thing, and they don't want to get into trouble. We return to Beijing to visit Chen and her family following their trip to the Great Wall. We're pleased they've invited us into their home, since many Chinese believe that foreigners could help to spread the virus. These people are part of China's prosperous middle class. Chen has been working from home for months. Her husband is a construction manager at a state-owned company. It's a secure job, but he's often on the road for weeks at a time. When he returns, he helps to homeschool his son. Zhou Kai can't meet with his friends yet, but he now has a smartwatch, so he can stay in contact. The family's doing well, but they still long for the pre-pandemic days, when life was much simpler. <laughs> Chen says that homeschooling her son is a real challenge. When the kids were in school, they had one teacher for each subject. But now, I have to cover all of them. Still, we've overcome these difficulties together. We've weathered the storm, and it's been good for both of us. Meanwhile, Grandma Zhang continues to worry about her family's future.